Welcome to Rich Conversations. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. Been kind of sitting on it for a while. We recorded it on Earth Day in Miami, South Florida, with Shelby Thomas of the Ocean Rescue Alliance. This is Shelby's third time on the show. Love having her on. She's such an amazing, incredible, inspiring individual. One of those people that you meet and then you're just so excited for the human species because we have people like this in the world. Just fabulous. And so today's we recorded it actually right on the beach. So you'll get some sounds of nature and uh, children running and playing in the background. But uh, we talk about a number of different things. The work she does with her organization, with the Coral Reef System in Florida. We discuss climate change and working with individuals, building relationships, using art to inspire actions we can take to create a better world. Beautiful. And with the children around us, we discuss as children our connection with nature and eagerness and enthusiasm to do things for the world. And then we transition into adulthood and how do you find your passion and the importance of living with passion so that it it fills you up with energy so you can go out and do what you're meant to do in the world. Just a beautiful conversation. And at one point, a large animal, turns out an iguana, (laughs) comes near us while we're recording. I was like, what is that? Turns out it's an invasive species. So we discuss things of that nature. But overall, just had so much fun recording with her. Amazing human and excited to share this with you. Before our conversation on this uh, today's show, I thought, you know, let's stick with the Miami theme. So I included a summary of my Miami trip that I recorded in Miami as well. And then we'll get into the conversation with Shelby, which I'm excited again for. So without further ado, let's begin. I'm in Miami right now. This is my sixth day in Miami. I'm about to return to Chicago in a couple of days. And so I thought I would share some thoughts and reflections from the trip. Wow, it feels like I just got here. I'm uh, overlooking the Atlantic Ocean right now, and the beach. I gotta say, the weather's pretty great. (laughs) In Miami, uh, coming from Chicago, where it was like, it could be 60 today, it also could be 30. It also could be raining and cloudy for the next five days. The forecast coming here was just straight sunshine in 82. (laughs) It was pretty good. Um, For me, I've 
discuss this with some some friends. I, if you don't know already, have kind of a disciplined wardrobe where I only wear four colors. Navy blue, dark red, brown, and gray, slash gold a little bit. And because it cuts down on my decision making in the morning and I don't have to exert mental energy on trivial things. But I did buy these pants for Miami. I don't necessarily love them, but anyways. Mental energy and it is nice. I never really thought about it this way with the weather, but the fact that one does not need to think about what the weather is going to be like today, it cuts down on expending energy on small things in a way. We'll say this though, I have to think about applying sunscreen. I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but how much sunscreen do people put on living in Miami each day? Like, do they actually put it on or like, I don't know. I haven't put much on at all. I was, I only laid on the beach one day. Now we have this incredible view of the beach right now that we're overlooking, but I was only on the beach one day so far, maybe the next couple of days I'll do it again. I, I think I definitely got sunburn on my nose. <laughs> I thought I put enough on and I don't know. You know, it's a great feeling to just swim in the ocean. Isn't it cool? Like every, uh, so I'd be reading on the beach and after every chapter, I'd go into the water, swim around and think to myself, wow, I'm swimming in the Atlantic Ocean. That's pretty cool. Palm trees, love palm trees. There's so many of them here. That's something I, I am always conscious of when I travel is the, the flora fauna. And I get so excited seeing plants and animals that I haven't really seen before. There's so many trees and plants in Miami I'm unsure about, but to see wild peacocks, that is cool. I went to, uh, well, for animals I've seen lizards, Peacocks, roosters, cats, some type of uh, like a duck, but like pink, like pink on the nose. Beautiful flowers, very colorful. Everything is vibrant and alive. That's what I love about Miami. And it's like that with the culture and people as well. Everything is lively and I'm curious if there's a correlation between sunshine, weather, and happiness. 
we can put our experts on it. But while I, I don't spend a lot of time on the beach, the most enjoyable thing for me on this trip, as with every trip and every single day, is part of my morning routine, meditating, reading philosophy, journaling, thinking, writing, and just doing that out here. Drinking a cup of espresso, it's the best. It's the best. In Miami, this is my fourth time in Miami, third year in a row, every spring. To me, it's not the, the harsh cold of Chicago that I need a break from. It's more so the, the grayness, the 30 to 50 degrees for three months and cloudy, no sun. That's what kind of uh, I need a break from. And so coming here two years ago, I had had a morning routine that I would follow, and, but I always felt this urge or um, obligation to then be productive right away. Get into whatever I gotta do today. You know, hop on the computer and do that. And uh, mainly all just small things. But we stayed at this Airbnb in Midtown uh, it was me, Matt Bones, and Ken Ferguson. And we had this courtyard, again, with palm trees. And just to be out in the morning, and it's 75 to 80 degrees and sunny. And, you know, just that little bit of shade from the palm trees. I just, just let my mind just go wherever it wants to go. And so I have incorporated that after that trip into my morning routine. So it takes a little bit more time. But the reason why I do this every single day, six days out of the week, is that my mind then is very clear so that when I make decisions throughout the rest of the day, they're very precise and intentional. So, so there's a lot more direction and production. There's weight, there's less wasted energy. Everything's a lot more efficient and on the point. I recommend it. Self-reflection is a big theme throughout this trip in particular. While I have that morning routine, it's hard for me to like sit still. You know, like be on the beach all day. I just love exploring and I love learning and I can't do a whole lot of that if I'm if I'm 
not moving at all. No, not um, immobile. I pride myself in my, my agility and awareness. And I can't necessarily, if I'm here in Miami, I can't necessarily learn a lot about Miami lying in one spot. I gotta be out and about, exploring. So I've, so far this, this time, I thought I'd be doing a little bit more chilling, but it's just not, I guess, who I am, self-reflection. I have told others that Miami kind of feels like how I feel about New York, where I've done a lot of main things that I want to do. And so each time I go, it's a little bit more chill and I go at my own pace and I kind of just do whatever I feel like doing. This time, was kind of like that. I went to Vizcaya Museum and Gardens. It's the estate, like villa of, I think his name is John Deering. He was part of, he made his money from agricultural equipment, International Harvester, McCormick. And so it's this beautiful on the water, on the bay mansion. And it's, it was built in 1916. Just beautiful ornamentation and, and gardens and plants and uh, courtyard. And the rooms, everything is extravagant. I've been really into design over the last five months. So something I've been doing on this trip is paying attention to the places I go and how they're um, designed and what's intended with how everything is placed and what is placed. Light fixtures. I've taken photos of like every light fixture <laughs> that I've seen and they're all quite different. But they're all evoking a type of emotion or feeling from people within this space. I love taking photos. I took so many photos on this trip to Vizcaya. That's where I saw some of the peacocks on my walk to Vizcaya. I went to a Miami Marlins game, my, my second day. That's cool. I love stadiums. I love checking out stadiums and watching sports and getting a sense of the sports culture in a place. I got a sense of the sports culture in Miami, going to that Marlins game, and then also the Heat game, out to the Heat-Bucks game last night. And it was not, it was probably like the worst experience of the trip so far. So I'm trying to hit up this bus. Something I do when I go to places, I like experiencing the public transportation. One, because it's an affordable way to get around. I get off the, uh, airplane, I buy a seven day pass for 30 bucks. And, you know, for seven days, I just ride the buses or whatever. I've only taken three Uber trips in six days. I think that's pretty good. 
especially for like exploring as much as I do. But I'm trying to catch this bus and I'm in Miami Beach and we need to go downtown. So I'm tracking this bus. I go downstairs and then it starts pouring. It's downpouring. And I'm just, uh, I'm like, oh man. If I sprint, I should meet the bus at the same time. And I think it'll be okay. And I bring my notebook everywhere. I just write down observations, make notes, things that come to my head, I write them down. So I'm trying to, you know, put in my, my uh, shirt so it doesn't get wet. And it's just downpouring. The bus isn't there. There's a couple others that are there too. We eventually, we, uh, instead of standing in the rain, we go underneath this like parking structure. We wait another maybe 20 minutes. Bus comes, get on, just drenched. So I'm going to the Bucks game. I haven't bought my tickets yet. I always wait till like right around the event time starts with bigger concerts and sporting events. And I track, I see the like prices fluctuate um, and the prices go down closer to the start time. Nine out of 10, so someone asked me uh, when we were standing there how often it works. I said nine times out of 10 it works. There'll be that, that one time that it doesn't work. And you're kind of kicking yourself. You're like, ah, I should have jumped on it when I could have. So we're on the bus. I didn't buy tickets yet. And then we're stuck in traffic. There's a bridge that goes from Miami Beach to downtown. And it's just really slow. So, so it's like a, a half hour now after the tip-off of the Bucks miami game. This is the game three of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals. First round. I get tickets. <laughs> and I go in. My impression, I thought the arena... It used to be FTX Arena, and now it's Kaiseya Arena, which is like an IT company. And from the outside, the arena looks really state-of-the-art, innovative, like a lot of these buildings here. They're beautiful. But I was shocked to find out, like inside, it seems pretty outdated. You know, I, I've gone to a lot of United Center games and Bucks games at Pfizer, the new arena in Milwaukee. And Milwaukee's arena is way cooler than the Miami one. And I was just shocked by that. But you could tell it's probably old. I, don't, I didn't look up the date that it was built. But it does remind me of those built in kind of the 90s. It was kind of like the United Center, but kind of not as majestic I would say it reminded me a lot of the Bradley Center where the Bucks used to play and that just kind of shocked me because I just think in Miami you'd think it's be a little bit more flashy and and I don't know innovative fancy I don't know cool it wasn't cool at all really 
There are a couple aspects of it that were really cool. Some artwork and lights. But, uh... So then I was there, and the Bucks lost. Pretty convincingly. Now Giannis is out. For me, the Milwaukee Bucks are the sports team that... I let my emotions get involved. Everything else, I'm very detached, but I enjoy watching and following everything. But I'm so inspired by Giannis and his growth, and I want to see him become the greatest basketball player of all time. I'm so proud of him as a human being. He's like, he feels like a a little brother to me, and I just want to cheer him on. I'm so proud of him, and he's been out. So he didn't play. Um, but I just, I just get emotional. Like I lose control of my emotions and I practice every day on controlling my emotions of things. But Bucks games, certainly compared to other Bucks fans, I control my emotions more, but... Um, It's just frustrating to lose. So I'm wet. I'm watching the game. And I'm learning more about people in Miami, <laughs> the culture. I'd say that's a big theme of this trip. It's just kind of getting a sense of the people more. And there's kind of some... I've noticed some caricatures of Miami, the Miami people. They, it's kind of obnoxious during sports events, especially if your team is down. But the atmosphere is always party during breaks. They're always playing party music. People are dancing. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. So going to sporting events in different cities, that's cool. I want to keep doing that. I love going to, especially baseball games. It's so chill. Um, you know, just bring my notebook out. Just, just write and write, make notes, observations. Had empanadas and espresso. Amazing. Um, checked out Winwood. Ate out sometimes, drank mojitos. I'm holding a cigar in my hand. This is a Cuban, a real Cuban. I acquired it. And I'm going to uh, smoke it tonight because this is kind of one of my last nights. I feel like I'm at a point where the trip is, you know, we're almost at the end of it. And during trips, I always come away with realizations. I get to the airport early and I, I write, knowing I'm, when I come back, after this trip, I'm going to gain a realization and it's going to expand my outlook on life and what I'm doing and perspective. So it's always kind of this mystery and I enjoy that, that moment at the airport 
And just that whole experience of going to the airport, boarding the plane, being on the plane and flying and, and then landing and coming back. So I'll be going to the airport early and I'll be writing what I learned, what I took away. But something I've, I have learned from trips is that I have to be patient. I have to let the trip happen and not try to force anything. You know, not try to force, just have to let it kind of come, come to me. I can't truly say I've, I've hit that yet, but I'm getting close. Because what you want to do, or what I do, is try to clear my mind so that when I'm going about, I absorb as much as possible. Everything is communicating something to us and placing oneself in a new place where your eyes and senses haven't experienced all the stimuli, they're not used to it, you gotta let it absorb. Um, absorb so that then you can process it, all that information, right? And so probably this evening, when I'm smoking this Cuban, walking on the beach, that's when it'll probably strike me. You can't force it, but you can kind of assist the process by doing certain things. But another great thing, I met up with Shelby Thomas. She's a marine biologist. She runs uh, the Ocean Rescue Alliance and helps build artificial coral reef systems in Florida. And she uses art to generate and engage interest in um, environmentalism and ecology. And we just had this fantastic conversation. I learned a lot. She has so much insight. She's such an impressive person human being really uh it's it's quite inspiring so we had a conversation in surfside just uh kind of north of miami or north of where i'm staying in miami beach so i was out in the sun under some trees it was earth day shout out to planet earth kind of been a theme of the trip too, thinking about my relationship, our relationship as human beings to our planet and thinking about progress we've made and, and issues we need to work together to solve. But I'm so optimistic and hopeful and want to have conversations with people like Shelby that and collaborate with them that we can create the world that we envision it's so beautiful and 
that's kind of been my Miami experience so far. Mornings, overlooking the beach, writing, drinking espresso. Just kind of going with the flow, just observing the culture and the people. And also hitting up spots that have been a part of my experience the last couple of years. And that is uh, the Frost Science Museum. I just got back from there. I think they do a fantastic job of presenting science in a way that's engaging and fun, in particular for children. They have this great rooftop view and uh, an aquarium and they had dinosaurs this time. They had like pterodactyls two years ago. This time they had dinosaurs from uh, South America and Africa. Awesome. I hung out there for a little bit. Then I went to the Perez Art Museum. I didn't go in the art museum, but I went to the cafe. Did a little writing, you know, overlook the water. <laughs> Pretty sweet. There's two other spots. I went to this, uh, like, Cuban vintage cocktail lounge bar in Midtown called the Sylvester. Probably my favorite place in Miami to go out to. And Laganipa. Laga... I, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it's like this outdoor patio with these trees and it's a wine bar and it's got this like interesting vintage kind of aesthetic. Some of my favorite spots. I love it. It's been a fantastic trip. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity and the flexibility to experience this and excited to take what I've been writing here and, and thought about and reflected on and apply it in life and move things forward. Life is beautiful. And remember, time is short, love is real. All right, we're here with Shelby Thomas, and we're in Surfside, Florida. Is this part of Miami? It's, you know, I technically don't know that question, but like the answer to that question, but it's close to Miami. We're, Miami's right here, and it's all considered South Florida. We have the beach behind us, and it's uh, Earth Day. Shout out to Planet Earth, Earth Day. Why don't you briefly reintroduce yourself? We're so excited to have you back. Uh, absolutely. Well, my name is Shelby Thomas. Again, my organization, Ocean Rescue Alliance and A Thousand Mermaids Project, we build artificial infrastructure for coastal resilience, marine habitat and restoration, but we also uniquely use art to connect the public back to the ocean. So we've done a lot of work here throughout South Florida, from Miami all the way up to Jupiter, and we're now really excited to be expanding projects. But uh, we really focus on marine conservation and bringing awareness and, and actually creating dive sites that can connect communities. I love it. I'm a big fan. I love, like, earlier, so there was an event here 
at this space, the community center, and there's a booth, and there's, it's called a, a coral lock. Mm-hmm. Coral lock. So I'm playing with these coral locks, and these are like innovative things within the restoration marine science, right? Yeah. So the coral locks are one of the technologies that we work with. Essentially, we're designing a whole slew of different applications to scale marine restoration of corals, oysters, and mangroves. We have the third largest reef here in Florida in the world, and it's in dire need of restoration. So that's one of the tools that we use to outplant corals at scale. So instead of individually gluing corals down, you can simply screw them in like a bolt. And it, it's so easy, right? Like a 10-year-old, 5-year-old yeah. could do it. So it I actually, could do it, yeah. You could do it. Um, so even as a non-diver, and if you can envision in a future, if we can do nearshore reefs that are regenerative, we could actually engage tourists and community members on a regular basis with very little training just to be able to outplant thousands of corals at a time. That's, that's the dream. We're, we're working towards that. We're not doing that here in Florida yet. Um, there's a lot of regulations that kind of have to move for that. But that's really the envisionment okay. is how can we create an engagement but also be able to scale more industrially to what we need to do. So you got a little, you got to see a little bit in person. We normally, last time we met, you didn't get to see any physical things that we actually do and put in the ocean. So that's, no, that's pretty uh, neat. Last, so last year, we recorded like a year ago, we are at the Frost Science Museum. That's one of my favorite spots. So I'm gonna go there. I'm planning to go to the Bucks Heat game tonight and the museum closes at six, and it's right by the arena. So oh uh, yeah, maybe sneak, so in the, sneak in there. Yeah, get, <laughs> get get some more science in before uh, the game. But yeah, like you said, you didn't have that with you at the time. So you really just got to like visualize it, really, versus now you got to see a little bit of it. We talked a lot of. Uh, it was such a great conversation. We talked a lot about using kind of innovative technologies to kind of pioneer some initiatives for the 21st century and in relation to planet Earth, how it can be beneficial. What in the past year are you most proud of? That's a, I would say really just expanding some of the work that we're doing. We've got multiple reef sites out now. One of our first fully funded city reefs with the city of Hollywood, they graciously got engaged and supported a full reef deployment, which we're now looking at doing a second one this coming year. Uh, we recently uh, got a, a co-funding with the reef line. We're excited to help build reef line up in Miami Beach, which is going to be a seven mile underwater art park that also has all the restoration capacities that you know we do with ocean rescue alliance work so those are two of the really really big reef site developments but beyond that we've been expanding internationally and again really focusing on structures that are biofunctional so we've moved forward and had a lot of advanced research partnered with the university of miami to look at hybrid structures that are breakwaters that actually protect against coastal erosion and create coastal resiliency. I mean, as we're sitting here now in Surfside, Florida, of course, last year, they had infrastructure and a a condo collapse. And that's just, you know, part of the inherent risk as we're, we're facing with climate change and going all the way up the coastline to New York and areas that are already at zero sea level. Right, they're at, they're at ground zero right now, and some of them are negative. 
And so how are we going to combat rising sea levels and just jeopardized infrastructure? We have billions of dollars of assets and communities that rely on these coastlines. How do we create a sustainable way to protect them? And so we've been really focusing on working through collaborative partnerships and designing these breakwaters that can reduce wave energy, protect against erosion and meet that need, but at the same time, create habitat and aid in restoration. So we can create these holistic sites of what I say, designing a zone for different biological purposes. So I'd say we're, we're most proud of making more advancements in that stance of being able to actually implement at scale very realistic solutions that not only impact the marine environment in a very beneficial way, but actually meet an immediate community need that we're seeing like dire crisis around the world, right? Even throughout Caribbean islands. And we just got back from Guyana a few weeks ago, which is six feet below sea level. And they have flooding regularly without heavy storms. And we're looking at doing uh, seawall enhancements and breakwaters there to help meet that kind of climate adversion risk uh, while creating habitat and, and being able to engage community at the same time. So I'd say that those, those three sectors are really what we're most uh, proud of. And then, of course, being able to expand new programs and engage communities as well. So the basic, there's like kind of two basic things, right? You're like creating artificial reef systems so that the waves aren't as impactful when they hit the land. Mm -hmm. And second is creating new habitats and space for marine species to rejuvenate in a way, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of... Yeah. Two of the big purposes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are two of the, the core fundamentals. Um, you know, in addition to that is, is doing restoration. So it's kind of what we call combining gray and green infrastructure, where you're taking a, a man-made complex artificial reef that we make out of an environmentally friendly concrete, but combine that with outplanting biological species such as corals, oysters, and mangroves. You know, here in South Florida, we've mostly focused on corals, but we can expand to other species, and we're we're getting ready to do that right now on the the west coast of Florida with oysters and mangroves. So, in the last year, you've scaled quite a bit. Yes, yeah, quite a bit. We we've got some of our first employees, which is awesome. I mean, we've really grassroots grown this with a lot of faith and I think that's just a testament to the project potentials that we have in the future. I mean our reef builder graciously donated not only his time and R&D and um, for construction but actually all the materials for building our first reef. The county county of Palm Beach actually donated a barge for us to get our first reef out and so we had a collective of not only government support and and academic research for example with the University of Miami and Nova Southeastern that's done thousands of dollars of research in collaboration with us that's helped advance not only our work but for us to be able to work together so just coming from where we've grown in the last five years to you know now really scaling up our work actually working with government agencies under contracts and being able to hire our, our first employees has been really a, a humbling blessing because now we're we're able to take that even a step further. So we're we're really looking forward to these projects starting like the reef line and the next rendition of the city of Hollywood reef. So we're we're making moves forward. That's awesome. It's so exciting to hear too.
what are what are the conversations like locally in Florida about climate change? Because I'm coming from Chicago and the Midwest, and climate change is a conversation, but I feel like each different region of the country and world is having their own different discussions about it. What yeah. is kind of, what do people talk about here the most? Yeah, uh, I think that's so, so true because people are generally products of their environment, right? Like, so yeah. if you're not exposed to certain risk, you might not think about it, right? We're not uh, thinking about endangered species, perhaps in Africa that we've never seen, but doesn't mean that those inherent risks aren't there. Um, in Florida specifically, we mostly are seeing obviously sea level changes, warming temperatures that affect our marine systems, weather, more increased frequent patterns of severe weather, like hurricanes we got two this year that were very intense, that hit both coasts really, detrimented the Fort Myers area all the way over to even Daytona Beach, which is my, my hometown. We haven't gotten a, a hurricane in a while that's hit like that, but they had flooding inland from all of the rain. So we're really seeing the effects of even in Miami during king tides, we'll have immense flooding. Uh, Fort Lauderdale's just flooded a week ago and probably made, you know, at least a bunch of news stations and social media throughout the U.S. of the, the flooded airport for three days. Like, So it, we're immediately seeing those impacts, and that's what's sometimes unfortunate is I know I've probably mentioned this before when we talked that we're typically a very reactive species as people <laughs> as humans we uh we tend to be that way yeah <laughs> um not as preventative and proactive so sometimes until something's immediately in your face and it's an issue you're not trying to actively address it and so that's one of the things that we really want to try to pivot that mindset and being more prepared and doing something that's regenerative where we're we're not waiting for things to go to a catastrophe and trying to recover from that, right? We can build more resiliency in communities and in the environment if we're thinking, you know, in mind and in line with what we're projecting in the future with climate change. So I, I think that's incredibly important and certainly more discussions happening in Florida because we're seeing those effects right now. And I'd say Miami is a, a, like a, a ground zero example of where we're seeing those happen very rapidly with flooding, warming temperatures and disease affecting our coral reefs. Um, we see it in a variety of different aspects. I mean, not just marine, that's of course you know my sector, but even from terrestrial, um, you, know, you look at the Everglades and you look at the, the unsustainable use of water uh, throughout the US that's diverted. I mean, we even had like a Florida Georgia water war at one point that affected our oysters in Apalachicola Bay. There's so many micro things that really contribute to like that macro picture of the effects of what we're seeing globally from climate change. So is among the different issues, flooding is the most um, number one priority in resolving or the most damaging to the infrastructure? I, I would say, um, yeah, I mean, flooding and, and coastal erosion. So one of the bigger things is essentially a lot of the increased storms and wave energy actually can erode the coastline. And so what people typically do is dredge sand and dump it on shore to widen the beach, and that's called beach nourishment. It's not a sustainable practice. It's not the best for the marine environment. It's a billion-dollar industry nationwide, millions of dollars per county typically. 
of just dumping sand. And, and really what that is is a Band-Aid. It's a quick fix to the long-term problem of coastal erosion. And that's where, you know, again, we're, we're really proud to be stepping into the space of trying to design solutions that are more sustainable, not only for the environment, but the actual long-term goal of meeting that problem. And so that's where those breakwaters can come into play. And, and we're seeing a lot of uh, universities, uh, as well as, you know, DARPA, which is the defense agency of the U.S. for research, mm. allocated $60 million to research breakwaters to protect Navy bases on the water. And UM is the one doing that research on that project. So we're really excited to be you know, one of UM's partners, and we work with them quite frequently. And just watching as, as this research yeah. unfolds, they have incredible work that they're doing. Uh, that will really advance the state of how we address coastal resiliency moving forward. So you had mentioned that, uh, you know, us humans are more yeah. reactionary and we're thinking less long term. How psychologically can we have discussions long term where people understand ramifications? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that comes from relationship building, like even within people, and that's why I fell in love with using art, because I think it's a storytelling element. Sometimes, again, people from like a very primal instinct, right? You're worried about yourself and your circle, your immediate space. And unless something is directly impeding on that, you might not be thinking about it or care or feel personally connected. And so the importance of creating these conversations that not only do, like bring awareness, right? A lot of people are aware. They, they know about the problem, but they don't know ways that they can make a direct impact, help, or, you know, influence other change. I think we're, we're needing this, what I call kind of a societal shift in perception in their relationships. And um, that's why we try to use art to connect deeply to communities so it's more meaningful and it, it can add value that can tell a story across time that could perhaps give that different psychological connection back to the ocean. And, and not just the ocean, I think with any environmental project, uh, we're, we're more disconnected from nature than we have ever been. And I mean, aside from all the doom and gloom, I'm always an advocate of like, I think we can solve the world's toughest things right now we just don't have the right people together working on it yeah we have children running around it's okay see we're thinking it's about okay. the children and the future yeah of the planet these little ones it's earth day and playing in being able to play here on the beach outside you know, in the beach we want this beach to stay here for the community to enjoy but and he's going to join us for the the podcast too but yeah. <laughs> it's okay um, but, you know, really just for the future of, of youth and like being able to educate this into kids, right? I mean, I think the really fun thing, and we, we love working with kids programs too, is there's such an inherent nature of, of curiosity in children, almost like a protection, right? Like they love to play in the dirt and nature and you're just very, you're like a scientist as a kid. In yeah. my opinion, you're playing, you're figuring things out. And we sometimes lose that over time. And I think we need to keep that narrative going to keep the creativity, to keep people engaged. Um, but, you know, again, to like shift that perception, it takes a lot. And I think it, it comes from, again, that building that personal relationship with a resource. So it makes it with art, it's more engaging and it's 
easier for people to understand like how they can help or it's in like a different way I kind of I kind of view it almost like a door um, you know sometimes people or like taking like step by step you know approach to something sometimes when people see this like very vast vague problem like the coral reefs are dying you know or yeah. Miami's going to be underwater in eight years or what on, by eight feet you know these very like drastic changes people can't really conceptualize that from a step-to-step basis of like okay well well uh, that's gonna happen and I, how am I going to help that right and so I think the thing that we try to do is break down ways that people each individual can have an impact so I mean we have programs from an adopt a coral to like you can make your own reef and see that you can put that habitat out see the fish recruit there see the growth happen there and it's a very tangible, measurable thing to see. It's really beautiful because you can see that that change. And so we really want to influence that everyone can have that impact. And even if you can't financially, uh, doing something to become a, a better eco-conscious consumer, um, share a message with a friend. There's so many things we can do as a collective, you know, even if you can't physically go and do something, right? Just a simple sharing a message can have a huge impact on a, a community and getting getting things going and integrated you had mentioned relationships mm-hmm. you said uh said some phrase perception and relationships mm-hmm. can you elaborate on that yeah so i i always say perception relative to like like i said a product of your environment like you know if you go even between florida right you can if you grew up in South Florida versus up in the Panhandle versus the middle of Florida with no coastline, you're going to have a little bit of a different dynamic of how people relate to their environment, what they do on a, a daily basis to interact with that. I mean, even between like you know Florida and Chicago, much different experience. So that sometimes can shape our perception of like how we view climate change, like we were talking earlier, or how we view like our individual impact. You know, if you live in a city and you're not really around a bunch of an environment like trees or you know you might not be thinking about that all the time and so I think it's important to look at you know as a whole of like human society of like how do we build relationships to connect people more back to nature to where like they feel ownership and a responsibility like an inherent responsibility to take care of it and that that's a hard thing to build I mean you we've kind of done a, the opposite of that for years of exploitation exploiting nature right oils fossil fuels take as much as you can it's a free resource sell it you know and not to just discredit like the capitalism of that i think there's a balance that you can still do regenerative utilizing nature but still being able to manage it effectively i think like we're we're, the really neat thing is again aside from all the doom and gloom and climate change we're at the most technologically advanced state in humanity we're collecting samples from Mars. <laughs> we can we can solve these issues. It's just putting the right people at the table and prioritizing what we do. We just were like looping around, getting deep there. <laughs> How do you uh, like something I'll hear on the ground say in Chicago? There's this uh, doomerism. Hmm. I haven't heard that word. Yeah, I saw it on the internet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to have to use that. I'm going to take that. Yeah. So, uh, 
there's kind of this uh, gloom and darkness around. I think people seeing something on the surface and it seeming so f far away and so out of reach for their own individual action that it creates this stress and apathy and nihilism of not acting and even small actions not making an impact. How do you communicate to individuals that are within that doomerism mindset to show that there is hope mm -hmm. and especially when discussing the technology available to us how do you communicate with someone like that for a more hopeful outlook yeah I think that's a tough question because really I ultimately like when I connect with people who let's say just say don't believe in climate change you know, you can take the extremist side and, and do something like a little meet their bleakness of, well, I'll give you an example. Go in a garage and keep revving a race car, your car, and tell me how long you can breathe. Like, that's what we're doing to our environment. We're taking out literally things that have been compounded by thousands of years and just burning it and, and doing all these things without having like a proper protocol of like how much can we do and just using to the extreme. And, like, that kind of makes sense. Like, if you're using analogies, I tend to use analogies a lot. But oh. that's a little on the negative side. From the, the hopeful side, I always try to connect with a person, you know, more individually and, like, understanding, well, why why don't you have hope, right? And sometimes that goes down to, like, a deep, deeper psychological effect, right? I think it's more of, like, an individual personal life. Exactly. Yeah. And I, like, that even, I mean, I'm a big mental health advocate, too, and I think... I mean, there's been a lot going on the last few years with COVID, you know, isolation and like a lot of people don't get to express or even just be connected in nature. Like there's so many studies that just talk about the health of breathing or being able to meditate or just immerse yourself in nature or get active, right? Like there's plenty of literature about that effect on your body, your mental health and clarity. So I think when people do have these negative mindsets, I mean, I always try to of course, I like give my perspective, but understand, well, why, why? So to me, it's, it's under, understanding the why rather than the what is very important because you can under, like, if, if we're mad at each other, right, and you just, like, know what I'm mad about, it, understanding the why will prevent in the future from it, a disagreement happening again or being able to understand, well, why, why am I upset? Like, why does that trigger me? And I think it's the same thing with somebody who has a negative experience with the environment, right? Well, why are you, why do you view it that way? Like, I'm curious. And so I actually like having conversations with people who disagree with me because I'm genuinely curious on like seeing their perspective and why they feel that way. And I, I think, again, like a lot of that can be influence of where they grew up, what they're seeing in their immediate environment, what, what's happened in their past. And all of that, you know, does boil down to psychology and, as a whole, as we were just talking about, like, well, how do we shift this, what I call, like, public perception and the relationships to the n natural resources, it takes a lot of work. Like, this isn't just something that's whoop, overnight. I'm sure you've heard of the term, like, herd mentality. Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yeah, Classic. like, where people collectively will, like, do something because everyone else is doing it. Yeah. Or if, you know, everyone started running all of a sudden, just like now, where we're saying, like, everyone just got up and started running. 
would you get up and run you know like some the quick nature of people to fall into that it's it's true like you'll you see that there's so many studies (laughs) that document that of like people going into waiting rooms and not sitting or you know it's actually really interesting and i i deeply do love psychology but i think that's a testament to the fact of like how we treat different things as a collective like let's just say in the u.s right um different influences so i think being able to test how can we shift that like herd mentality to be more environmental oriented or like more Mm. accounting for your own responsibility right like you have your own responsibility to your immediate environment and i think like that's also why i really love working i'm you know we were talking about art earlier as a way to impact and like i i say like a door or window to like engage people um the project i'm most passionate about we're still trying to fundraise for we've been held up with permits is a reef in mexico that we're working with a mayan community and the reason why i'm so passionate about that project is it's our first culturally relevant reef site that's driven by mayan community for Mayan community. And I think that's so beautiful because it actually brings awareness to their culture and it directly engages the immediate community that also has been suppressed. And there's so much tourism, you know, booming in Mexico. And I think that's kind of a testament to like, you know, we've all historically like come and, and not really worked the best with the environment. So why not like tailor this to the immediate history and, and community culture to engage people as a whole and maybe they'll have more ownership now. Maybe they'll want to engage and in, in do restoration and take care of that resource because now they're part of it. And that's the whole idea with like the Mayan Reef is now we're actually changing and giving that community a resource that they can also profit off of sustainably, mm-hmm. but it actually helps the environment. Now we're doing a, a coral nursery with two other nonprofits there and a, a fishing boat turned from fishing to doing straight coral restoration with tourists. I think that's incredible. You know, now people are paying instead of just going on like a pretty dive, they're getting to do like a partial outplant restoration dive and then get to enjoy the beautiful reef. Like, why can't we do that with everything? That seems like the future. Like just that image, right? Mm -hmm. Where like you're doing something positive for the environment or the community and also at the same time creating something new and enjoyable. And I, I mean, I think we can do that with many things. It's just, again, changing that relationship. Like, you know, how do, how do kids react to that? I think if you engage little kids, like the ones running around here, they'd be happy to go be planting some Spartina grass and helping with, you know, restoring the, the sand dunes here. No, no problems asked. When you get to the, the, like, middle high school, why is there any aversion to doing environmental work? That's probably because the, the collective perception of, oh, that's not cool. That's not, you know, whatever feel, it may I be. I feel like the younger generation, like, they're, they're a little more political, they're opening. cool about. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but you, you, you know what I mean? We don't have too many people. I, I will say, like, there are people that volunteer in high school and stuff, at least from, from my my graduation, right? But we don't see everyone doing this. Like, There's you know maybe I mean? a difference in volunteering versus, like, social media activism or something. Y- yes. Yeah, and, and versus politics, you know, that that's a little different, although politics does influence, like, environmental regulations, but I just think it's interesting. I think kids are happy to, and actually enjoy helping 
Like the, there's a there's a, a nature nurture kind of feeling that I think we get as people where you actually genuinely feel happy when you're I mean maybe it, maybe I'm wrong maybe it's just me like if you're helping contribute to something it feels good you know and I, I think kids how much of you that you can see that in kids they like want to help each other I think we should be building a community that does that <laughs> you know well, for the environment <laughs> something I often think about is as people get older or maybe like there's a certain time people like life and the many things that pile up on the desk of life bogs a person down and they Mm -hmm. lose that sense of wonder and um, beauty of the world whereas kids children have that sunny outlook still it's like Mm -hmm. Yeah, an and, it, part and of what's life. kind of well, yeah, and I, I mean, I think, and this is one thing I try to say. I mean, I've always said this too. I'm a big advocate of pursuing what you're passionate about, and things will figure it out. And I'm, I'm talking about like truly finding your passion and purpose, and like that, that's not easy to find. It doesn't just fall in your lap. You got to try a lot of things. You got to do a lot of things. Like, well, you know, I don't maybe not like that as much. Don't feel as aligned. But truly pursuing something with your heart, I think people can see it and I think if more people did that it just brings out the the natural creativity like we were when we were kids you know like that imagination and and curiosity and and the the willingness to push and 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 create more things and I think as as even just kind of our education system I think we might have touched on this last time too we sometimes like take that out of kids and and like through college and we are a little more like I'd say progressive in that sense now in terms of being an open more open-minded but we still um are not fully enabling of like that creativity of of, of fostering that creativity in people and in in youth um but I think we can get there (laughs) again energy I I feel like in terms of energy pursuing one's passion there's that level of energy to sustain the passion Mm -hmm. thinking of like a path if you're trailblazing a path and you have potential energy and you're going through and you have kinetic energy you keep kind of going whereas if you're not on a path that you're not passionate about you don't have as much potential energy, mm-hmm. which then is transferred to kinetic energy to... Yeah. I think, like, you can maintain more momentum when you really care about something. Momentum. There's another great word. Yeah. Where, right, if you don't have a path, like, you'd be more adverting if there's a block, right? Like, you're like, well, I better stop, <laughs> you know? And But I think also in the same sense, I you know, again, from the you know, pressures of perhaps even society. I mean, we, it's interesting to like, look at this perspectively from, I don't know how old your parents are, but my stepfather is a, a juvie judge and kind of like his era is like, you're a doctor, you're an attorney. Yeah. There's you know. like 10 things. There's like, and that is making it in life. Officer, you know what I mean? Lawyer, doctor, yeah, yeah. But th- that was it. Like, and I, I think we're way o- more open-minded now. I mean, people are, creating jobs I mean even what I'm doing I never would have assumed 
I'd be doing what I'm doing. And I, I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. Couldn't imagine doing any, anything else. I mean, not really. I, I, I actually have a lot of things I want to do, but, <laughs> but it's just like, I could, there's no job description for what I do. Like it's created. And I think that's, what's so neat. And what really excites me when I hear people talk about them wanting to start a project, start a nonprofit, start a company of, I get excited to like talk through that with people because I think there's so many pathways to make an impact. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's keeping the focus and, and maintaining that momentum, but it, it can be hard. Like it doesn't mean everything's just like, you know, whatever, whatever the saying is, you know, roses and whatever. Um, it's, it can be hard. And sometimes you do question yourself and sometimes it's like, well, what if this happens and all this crashes down and this and that. And I think where you have to rely on that is just like the strong mental clarity, one understanding your purpose, why you're doing it. And, what your end goal is and don't just kind of wash out the rest like people will have their opinions i've had people tell me as i told you before oh we doing the art stuff stupid what does that do for the environment and i'm like well yeah the the artistic sculpture does not help the corals you know but what it helps is bring awareness to the point where we're funding restoration through that art so it's actually helping rebuild corals and, you know, giving a, a, another really way to connect with people, because that's the biggest thing is if we don't change people and how they, again, have a relationship with the environment, we're going to just be facing this continuously until we push it into the legitimate ground, you know. So you have to start somewhere. And I think that's what's inspiring to me again about about the art side. But, Yeah. <laughs> What excites you most for the future? Ooh. Um, I mean, honestly, just the, the creative capacity. I, that's what I really love about um, the work that I do. I get challenged, and I get to meet so many incredi- incredible people, and I get to problem-solve on a daily basis. Not only from the science side, and I think that's why I love it. You know, as a scientist, you get to look at things and, like, how can I dress this to be more efficient, more beneficial for that immediate environment? Um, but again, like the art side really motivates me. So it's like, how can I make this the most impactful? Like, you know, eventually when we're big enough, like I'd love to do studies, like even psychological studies on how we can impact community and be very intentional. So I think both the creativity and intention of my work, it excites me the most. Um, and seeing where that goes to, I mean, long term, I'd love to expand even beyond ocean stuff to do like sustainable infrastructure and doing this more even from a land-based perspective of like how can we again connect with nature in a more sustainable way so that i'd say that's that's my collective what about you i'm gonna reverse that oh uno reverse (laughs) what was the question (laughs) (laughs) what excites you the most i'm excited how There's so much information and tools available at our fingertips that if you're creative enough, you can, there's infinite possibilities. Like we had joked before, I have, I have four iPhones. <laughs> We're only using three right now. I kept one in Chicago, uh, but 
to me, like in each one of these iPhones, there's more technology than what humans had to get the first person on the moon, mm-hmm. you know? And here it is in my hand. Mm-hmm. Well, now I got four of them. <laughs> and it's like, what can I do with that? And pairing up with like-minded individuals, it's almost like the 21st century and the future is a blank canvas. And it's all a matter of our, our mindset and imagination to create and paint the most beautiful picture that we can. And what excites me is, um, as a millennial, understanding the analog and digital world and this bridge that connects them, how we're at kind of this renaissance of human of the human story and to me I'm obsessed about the information revolution back in the Mm -hmm. 50s when we could then figure out how to measure information Mm -hmm. and it's led us all the technology is compounded and compounded and compounded and technology gets um, a bad rap because everybody I mentioned before how like people's spines are changing because their heads are down so much looking at their phones what I hope to help is people using it more intentionally using it more as tools rather than Mm -hmm. a device to endlessly entertain and distract Mm -hmm. and overstimulate Mm -hmm. right now one can if just sit in silence and reflect on life and what uh, we talked about purpose and passion if you do it enough repeatedly and make it a habit there's this inner source of um, guidance where you can figure out how to live your dreams which was never really possible before we live at such a interesting time in the human story and I'm grateful for all the work and progress that has been put into this time where now I can use my mind and live my life with that I don't have to sign up to be uh, one of ten of these positions and that was deemed as successful you can now create Whatever you want. Whatever you want to be, just go do it. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say it's not hard. Mm -hmm. In fact, it may be harder. But, again, that path, more momentum and uh, more excitement and energy to create that. Mm -hmm. So what excites me about the future is meeting other like-minded individuals uh, who also realize that. Like, what is actually happening in the world right now and the technology we have how can we now use this let's put our minds together use it intentionally for good intentionally good Mm -hmm. and just create the world that we envision Mm -hmm. like um, and just work towards it we have the technology Mm -hmm. like 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I think a lot of that too, like, lies into well, one, fostering creativity, but also being able to break some of those perceptions. I mean, it's taken time from you know, like, pa- family, parents, generation of those like very narrow-minded visions of what success is, and I think being able to break down those barriers of what success looks like and really it's that an individualized story it's it's not it's breaking down those barriers of like comparing right to someone else and finding what you truly feel connected with because i think that's that's what brings like happiness is finding that something that makes you feel creative that brings out your inner child that brings out your your passion your fire your your like you know just kind of at peace it makes you feel alive Yeah. yeah and i think not that many people feel that way you know and if we had more people feeling that way i just I would imagine like a so much more creative world but again like to your point i think it's crazy like the iphones right like all this crazy tech that i don't know 100 years ago we'd be like no way you know that's not happening yeah. and and again collecting specimens from mars i mean there's no reason why we shouldn't be making clean energy out of our own oceans that are a 24/7 consistent resource. There's no reason why we shouldn't be doing things more sustainably and managing our environment better before it's everything's endangered. You know, it's just like we've done all these other really crazy outwardly like, you know, things from even like space stuff, right? That's And I think that's also really beautiful cuz we're pushing the edge of like what can we do? as humans but like let's not forget about our home you know yeah and i think i think we're i think we're at 2023 earth day let's not not forget about mother earth i it's kind of like that meme where uh (laughs) the guy's like looking back so we're like with planet earth but then like mars is like yeah 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 um but you know I, i think i think there is so much hope and I mean, I really, I really enjoy personally, like exploring, like, you know, friends journeys or people that I interact with, like asking things like that. Like what, what do you feel connected to? What are you passionate about? And like, you know, or even like what fosters your creativity? Like, where do you feel the most creative? Right. And some people it's, it's not in their jobs. Um, and it's a hard shift. I mean, there's in reality, like we have bills to pay, we have families to support, we got X, Y, Z. So it's not like it's an easy thing to just, well, you know, let me just toss this away. But there's definitely little things everyone can do to move forward, I think. You had um, talked earlier about, like, that big scary thing and not being able to break it down. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like in one's own individual lives. Thinking about that, oh, what would I want to be or do? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's too tough. Or, well, then it's just breaking it down. Mm-hmm to the like atomic levels mm-hmm. um. yeah and I even just actually had a friend today you know reach out because I I've been fortunate to you know now be actually expanding the the for-profit arm and have some interest and like really blessed to have that opportunity and it is like kind of I even Evan my my co-founder of my nonprofit, sometimes will sit me down and be like Shelby well one you need to eat two you, you should celebrate what just happened. And like, I sometimes I like on the, the one yeah. side of the end, I like have, I have very audacious goals that I'm like, I'm not there yet. You know and I'm like? Step by step. But if I look back at where I was five years ago, 
it's it's insane. I have that. I it's have, insane okay, to look yeah, at that. You I know what I mean? Too. Yeah. And and I look back at that, and one of my friends asked, she's like, "Well, I just like don't know how to start my own company, or I don't know how to start this nonprofit that I want to do." I'm like, honestly, like, I know it sounds really scary, but do something small and manageable that you can do every day, or like one day a week, or like take it step by step, because it didn't just happen overnight, girl. You saw me over the last five years come come to where it is now and it certainly is building up a great support team right having someone that you can talk to it's not it doesn't all have to be individual on your own but sometimes it is I've been alone sometimes felt alone many times um but that kind of goes back again to like why are you doing this what's your purpose and that gives you that that motivation and those those times of like huh I'm not really feeling supported right now, <laughs> you know, and not that you always need to feel support, but it's, it is something that I feel like a lot of people face, um, when they start on a journey or, you know, want to shift career paths or like, I'm 40 and I really wanted to do this with, you know, before, but you know, now I feel like I'm too old and I really don't think that I, you know, I would, I would, I kind of look at people and I'm sometimes I'm just I guess I'm lucky to have the mindset that I do. And I, it, it honestly started when I was younger, just like reading things like the secret. And I really believe in energy and, and just having a positive optimistic look like subconsciously that affects you. I mean, if you're thinking doom and gloom, like I can feel that if I'm in an upset mood and I have the body language, right. That I'm, I'm like slouching you would you would be able to see that and feel that from me and like you might not want to talk to me as much (laughs) you know what I mean yeah and so I think that's true with like how you carry yourself in life but like you know to circle back like I think at the end of the day having a strong mindset and working on yourself is critical for anyone like going down a path of trying to find your passion or do something new it's building resiliency within and and when you have that you can build a much more like have more momentum when you do something because you're not as phased by some of those roadblocks because you know what some people will not understand because they're not you you know and I've had people say plenty of things I'm like it's okay you can disagree (laughs) something actually something really valuable I've learned recently is to separate everything that someone says Mm -hmm. so if someone a very successful person is giving advice to me I can like separate everything that they're saying and just take the good advice and leave the bad advice yeah. and like yeah because they what's applicable to you yeah they don't know you they don't know your experiences or your mind right. so it's like oh that's not applicable you know and you can like mm-hmm. kind of figure it out as you go um, how do you like managing your day to day. This is something I'm trying to get better at. <laughs> Same. <laughs> okay, well then that's just... It's okay, we, you can ask okay, it. You so, can ask it. Finish your question. <laughs> so I'm trying to better organize... I'm trying to create an external system for myself so that I can rely... I can build this system so that I can be as present as possible mm-hmm. knowing I can just fall back on this organized external system. Mm-hmm and like separate the two in a way how do you go about scheduling do you keep a calendar do you use google oh yeah okay how do you organize and what (laughs) what things do you use to organize (laughs) 
So, you know, I'd say I'm not that sophisticated when it comes to organization, but I do have my calendar and I, I basically live off of that in terms of meeting and scheduling and I'll, I'll even book things months out. But I always do leave flexibility and I will take like hard set times to just like the work-life balance of I need to spend time with my friend right now or, or you know, like friends and be present, right? Because I've, I was at a period when, especially when I first started, where I was just so busy with everything and had so many goals to push everything forward that I would still be at a dinner working and I'd be leaving and, and doing this and traveling more than I maybe needed to and not taking a break for myself. And I, I did see like, luckily not a really bad deterioration, but you know, I wasn't as healthy as I could be. I wasn't feeling as great as I could be. So I, I definitely try to find that balance. And I mean, I meditate, do yoga, uh, run workout a lot and not as much as I would like admittedly but I mean, we all have you know wax and wanes of of when we're really on it versus yeah. when we're not but I I do keep a schedule on my um, Outlook Google Calendar and I, I schedule things out and I will try to take things like sometimes a few days I work a lot on the weekends clearly <laughs> even this weekend too yeah um, but you know it's not work to me and that's actually the the nice thing about what I do is not very draining to me because I love it and I'm excited for what's next. I'm like, what, who, even if it's just running into someone actually today at this event, the table right next to us does uh, meditative breathing exercises for both mental health with kids and being able to kind of get back to like controlling um, like your body and your breath and and using that even for like a higher athleticism. So he works with like surfers and even seals, but mostly kids, which is I think awesome. And he does these little um, really meditative dives and will even do the, the weights underwater, which is a totally different experience. But there's a lot of like healing that comes from that. And we've been, the ironicness is I was just talking to Evan last week because we did one meditation slash yoga and then a free dive in the ocean. Uh, a few months ago with this neuroscientist she's amazing but we want to do this more consistently and then it just so happens the guy next to us at the table does that weekly and we want to have more of a weekly presence that way for just mental health and in interacting with the community and that just happened today so literally tomorrow morning I'm going to go to one of his classes we're going to do an event next month like that that kind of stuff excites me because it's we're able to work together and kind of advance the same goals and share a similar passion of connecting with the ocean um, and people and just random things like that happen all the time. I mean, this is a, you know, Saturday Earth Day event in Surfside and I, I just met this awesome guy and organization right next to us. So that really keeps the motivation going. And I know I just went on a long tailored loop, but um, so I do work weekends but I think the important thing, again, is having that passion, scheduling out time for yourself. Absolutely. Because like you need that. Right. I don't, I don't know how often you fit in work, but I almost don't see it as a strict structure. What is that? Oh, that's an iguana. Yeah. Um, they're invasive in Florida. Oh. They were brought by like the reptile trade and they're all over Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Yep. He's enjoying a nice little... That's a big line. lizard. Yeah. We we might sh we should grab him for the camera. <laughs> I don't like holding things like that. <laughs> I mean, you yeah, people that are uh, not from Florida are like uh, lizards. Absolutely not. I went to uh, 
Vizcaya. Looks like little dinosaurs, right? I love dinosaurs. <laughs> He's They're not related. around for me to touch. He's related. So I understand that. <laughs> I went to Vizcaya the other day. It's like this mansion on the water built in uh, like the early 1900s. And there's this really sexy looking lizard. <laughs> See, that one looks ugly. But this Wait, one was like blue and orange. And yes. Yeah, yeah, those are also invasive. <laughs> Beautiful, but but invasive. We are an invasive species center in Florida for both marine and terrestrial life, just FYI. In California, but um, they're one of them. But they're they're pretty neat. But the the problem with them is that they'll eat, like, bird eggs and affect uh, the native bird populations, and they, like, take over and eat other lizards. (laughs) But they're they're cool-looking dinosaurs. It walks like a, how I would imagine a dinosaur would walk. <laughs> and then in the winter, they actually, um, if you haven't seen it, give you guys a good thing to, to Google. They will freeze and fall from trees sometimes because they'll sleep in the trees. And when it gets a really like little chilly winter months in December through February, sometimes they'll fall on people. Wow. <laughs> Lizards falling from trees in Florida. So, you know, we have climate change issues but iguanas are another one yeah he's heading over <laughs> here a little bit he wants to be part of the podcast i see that uh something i ask people all the time is how do how do you use your apple watch oh really um i use my apple watch i mean sometimes for reminders but mostly mostly sports so running or working out yeah i like being able to track it yeah that's the number one response Fitness, really yeah. fitness yeah otherwise i try to keep the notifications down because it is it is kind of one of those like tie-ins right as we talked about technology where it just tries yeah. to suck you in there but mostly workouts see i see i like my watch the just the it looks simple, nicer yeah <laughs> and, and you don't Apple have you don't have an egregious like uh, tan line like mine least yet I don't have any tan lines in general. <laughs> I was there, I went to the beach That's yesterday and I was like, oh wow, Chicago. I'm I uh, do not have a tan. That's great. What about the hat choice? Very fashionable today. Today, um, yeah, no, I I guess I sometimes wear my little artsy hats, uh, just uh, you know, not the best hair day, so just just throw a hat on. Yeah. Fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Beachy. This bird also okay. wants to join the podcast. He's been listening in right He's here. He's been chatting a little bit. Yeah. What kind of tree is this? So this is called a sea grape tree. Okay. So the you, they don't have any grapes on them right now, but all, where those like poly, the pollens extending right there, they'll have little nodules that look like grapes that will come off. Are they edible no. for humans? No, definitely don't eat them. Probably poisonous, but. Oh. But they provide good shade, and they grow Great near shade. near the they grow near the beach. Yeah. Something when I travel to places, I notice the uh, flora fauna. So in Mexico City, a month ago, it's so stimulating to my eyes. I'm walking just down the sidewalk, and there's all these different plants I've never seen before. <laughs> and there's this thing. People in the Midwest could probably share this with me. Whenever we see a palm tree, we just think it's the most amazing thing. 
Because we get that. You, visions of vacation, warm weather, and yeah, dreams. And, and yeah. that's a kind of like with a productive environment thing, right? Like people yeah. in Florida probably don't appreciate them as much. Do people in Florida visualize oak trees? Mm, no. I think how majestic we, they we, are. We have oak trees, though. I mean, I I would say I mean because I've spent you know some of my life and and love is is horses and horse country like that's what i think of when i yeah. think of an oak tree is these just this big network of canopying oaks and those like foggy misty mornings of like quiet stillness you know on on a ranch and that's what our our florida oaks are but i'm sure it's very different <laughs> for you guys but i'd say maybe not all the floridians think of that uh considering most of our population is on the coastline of florida all of it's developed. When I was at uh, Vizcaya, there was these massive trees. It reminded me of like a Louisiana or something. I would imagine there, like in the swamps or mm-hmm. something. And I was just so curious how old they were. I, I was thinking like 300, 400 years old. Yeah, yeah I'm not a tree ager, but... I believe it. I mean, I've seen the redwoods in California and, and this, this massive trees, and it's just, it's it's incredible. It's breathtaking to see it, honestly. What's a, a national park you'd like to go to? Ooh, well, definitely a lot of them. But one of the ones I've been wanting to go to more recently, I mean, well, in the U.S., I haven't been to Zion and, and the Narrows in Utah. Okay. So it's kind of more of the desert topography. But, I mean, internationally, I'd love to go hike Machu Picchu. Uh, they actually were going to close down for some restoration prior to COVID. And um, I've just heard it's beautiful. So, I mean, I'm, I'm about any of the nature exploration. Yeah. Lots of ocean places I, of course, want to see. The top of my list is a Raja Ampat which is an Indo-Pacific island, one of the most pristine reefs in the world in terms of coverage and diversity and color and fish. And it's very remote, hard to reach, but um, would love to go there. What about you? National Park. National Park. Um, Redwood. You mentioned Redwood. That would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Big fan of trees. <laughs> Happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. <laughs> Uh, I was thinking about going to the Everglades on this trip. Oh, you should. You I'm should. at the point now with Miami where, you know, like on the iPhone, when you set it up, you put like your fingerprint on there. Yeah. And you get the big, the main one. And then you like <clears throat> fill it in with nuances. That's kind of the point I'm at with Miami where I'm just like, I'm filling in nuances. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've done a lot of things I've wanted to do here. Maybe I take a trip to the Everglades. Yeah. I think you should. That people do the the airboat rides, and you'll get yeah. a little tour of the different uh, flora and fauna of the Everglades, I'm which a is little, pretty neat. I'm a little you're just afraid scared of, a gator? of the gators. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what if I fall off funny. the boat? <laughs> you won't. See, that's that's the Midwesterner coming I, out of it you. It totally is. And that's what I mean by product of your environment. Yeah, there you go. I had a a roommate of mine that just her family thought I was a crazy woman. Because I drive a motorcycle and dive with sharks and like, well, I just couldn't imagine being constrained by fear. <laughs> but I just have a different perspective, I guess. And I mean, there's plenty of people that fear stuff in Florida in general, but it is an interesting perspective, like of where you've grown up and what those like fears and per- per- perceptions are of the environment of like what's 
what's dangerous, right? All of it's like a. I thought face a lot about fear. that recently. With I think people are like ninety to ninety-five percent a product of their environment, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's the way. It's the way it kind of is. Yeah, and that's the way the cookie crumbles as a. And then it you know just where that came from? <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's the way the cookie crumbles. No? What's that from? It's a uh, Jim Carrey from I think it's. I think it's a uh, Bruce Almighty or something. But that's just what came to my mind as soon as you. Said but that that <laughs> saying's been around for a little bit longer. Oh, like. yeah. Okay, last question for you. Okay. What are you most curious about recently? Most curious. Hmm. Well, um, I guess I, I didn't mention, but I'm extremely curious about a project we just started engaging with in Saudi Arabia called Neom, and they're working with Calist. We're working on an, an environmental coral restoration side, but the bigger project is called The Line, which is going to be a sustainable city built adjacent to the Red Sea with everything compact, supposed to have all the sustainability, regeneration, I'm just curious because, like, I've never been in that space per se of, like, how do you create these hybrid structures that are, you know, creating energy, reducing waste, made out of the best materials that are going to last the longest, you know. I'm just extremely curious into seeing how some of that master plan unfolds. And I, I would love to see, like, more companies in the U.S. take, like, some type of attempt. Like, even if it's one building, like, let's let's do something like that. So I guess that's my immediate curiosity just because, like, we were on the topic of regenerative systems. Yeah. Other than that, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm curious to always try new things and travel. But in terms of new things, I kind of wanted to... What was I wanting to try it recently? Um, doing like a different type of yoga, basically. It's like a silk thing, silk yoga. I've been doing, I do acro yoga when I come to South Florida. I don't know if you've ever tried that. It's actually, if you're not into yoga as a guy, it's a good intro to it because it's partner okay. yoga. Okay. And it really shows your relationship building. So especially if you have a partner, like a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, um, it's really, it's really a, a unique experience. I haven't done that with a significant other yet, but here I'll, I'll go to it and it really will show you like how much you trust people or you don't. Oh, and dang. so I'd encourage you to try that, but I want to explore some other avenues of, of yoga. These birds are really funny. Look at them. Okay. So I'd say that's another what I'm question. curious about the crows. I'm curious about animals in like, how much do they like no like they feed off the energy of like a human being so we recently have this kitten in our apartment okay and i feel like you you act like it just um popped up there did you adopt this kitten yeah okay yeah my roommate got it okay so it's not necessarily my kitten we have this kitten <laughs> but just okay i just assumed my bad <laughs> it's so okay. so this kitten though it like, it only comes out and is by me when I like least want it to be around. When I'm like recording or like oh, doing funny. my like morning routine. And I think it knows. <laughs> and then like I'll, and then I'm paying attention to uh, 
people's dogs when they're like coming in and out of the building and how they interact yeah. with me. Uh huh. Because I'm wondering if animals have this like other sense of what's going on. I believe they do. I mean, I, I believe I- uh, animals can feel energy, and that's how I, I've even seen it with horses. I mean, I that's fundamentally also like part of my beliefs as like I mentioned earlier on how you carry yourself and like how your mindset is I mean animals can feel it undoubtedly I mean I always gave an example when I was teaching I used to teach horseback riding and when we work with some larger horses or trying to break them out right it's kind of about break them in terms of like being able to ride them you really have to have a confidence and and show that kind of almost authority, but not an aggressive way that you're comfortable with the horse. And that like that does come with, with, from within. It's not like a fake it till you make it kind of thing, you know, but they can feel it and they can feel if you're fearful. And the really neat thing is, and, and why I also know this is true in terms of feeling energy, we got to work with horses for a therapy program for kids with autism. And we had one of our advanced horses that we would do like dressage level three work with which is, if you're not familiar with the horse space, uh, there's different disciplines like dressage and, and reining, which I compare it to like ballet versus hip hop, right, for horses. But anyway, so this horse is a very advanced horse, like will give advanced riders a hard time. But we used him for therapy and literally cradles the kid and, and just knows instantly and is like so much more cautious and to be able to like see that shift and even like when we were teaching kids to you know just blanket a horse or put a halter on or put the saddle on your movements your body language just number one even for human communication is about 80 percent of our communication is is how you're presenting yourself and i think the same thing with animals so you know i think they can feel feel it and i've even had really unique actually love loved some of my diving experiences where i've had marine animals come to me and I I had a really neat time actually the probably one of my favorite dives I went on a manta dive in Hawaii it's a night dive because the mantas come out to feed for phytoplankton so they put a light and then all the mantas come and they're like doing acrobatics under the light and eating the phytoplankton we got as soon as we got down it's a 65 foot dive so it's it's not something you just like shoot up from it's not a you know you're sitting there yeah watching it's almost like a little performance underwater um, as soon as we get down I look over and there's like this little cavity of reef and you can see a hole and this eel comes out it comes directly to me and he comes I have a video of this I'll show you wraps all around my leg and starts really? wrapping around my body through my hair and I just hear the girl next to me screaming through her regulator because she just with that that would not have been okay with her but I was calm and it was just a really unique experience and then he just went on his way but I never felt uncomfortable with it or threatened and I've had things like that where even so like graceful. sharks have come come by and you just look them in the eyes and that's like such shut it's it's such a humbling feeling not even out of fear but just like being able to feel another creature right and I enjoy stuff like that. Some people, maybe that freaks them out. But I mean, even like, you know, like we've had some birds come and visit us. Like, I think they can feel if you're, if you have good energy versus bad energy is my point. This is what I think it is. (laughs) Like when I record, I set it up and I press the buttons (laughs) and I'm like, I hope this works. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I don't, I don't like you disturbances. Don't uh-huh. And I think they can pick up on that, so they intentionally start messing with me. Maybe it's the universe telling you to to let go some of the perfectionism of the the video interface. I think so. I think so. Yeah. The the bird and the children and the lizards were telling you that today. Yeah, you could probably if I like <laughs> go back, I might like tense up a bit and I'm like with the kids. I know I almost invited one to come take a seat. <laughs> I just hope the buttons start and stop, mm-hmm. you know, and to capture it. Yeah, and I guess you know one of the things it's funny because I I guess because I've had a lot of I've had things a lot of negative things happen that I'm thankful for because it's, it's made me who I am. But one of the things I always tell people and I, I honestly live by is you can't control what happens to you in life or what other people do or, you know, you can only control how you react to things. Yeah. And, and again, I know we were talking about reactivity, but in, in reaction to like our environment, like you can only control yourself. And sometimes like you got to let certain things go. And, and just kind of like flow and some things happen for a reason, but, um, and it's just a lot more peaceful that way. <laughs> I think I've been at points too, where I'm like a little more rigid and, uh, have learned to kind of, you know, not kind of control and, and view from my perspective of like how to react to things, you know, you can take it one way or the other. At the end of the day, everything's going to be good. <laughs> you know, wise words from Shelby Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on again. I always enjoy these conversations. Yeah, with you. yeah, we always we always have a good chat. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for having me again. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>